0: Hi, I'm Casey Kausman, a 2022 Mirage Challenge Scholarship winner, and here's what Mirage Challenge means to me. It means staying true to myself and not giving in to peer pressure. It means saying no to underage drinking and never getting into a vehicle with a driver who is impaired. It means setting a positive example for generations to follow. It means growing old and helping others do the same. I'm Casey Kausman, and I accept Mirage Challenge. I hope you join me and show that you too are viewed tough.
1: Today's podcast is presented by Thriftway Superstops. Stop by your neighborhood Thriftway today and find a clean, friendly, professional, and safe environment. You will never find a casino at Thriftway. Thriftway's fountain drinks also taste just like they are supposed to. That is a big deal for me, and I definitely cannot say that about other convenience stores. Download the TLC app and every sixth fountain drink is free. You can also take advantage of big discounts on pizza, grab-and-go favorites, and fresh brewed coffee. TLC members also receive 5 cents off every gallon of top-tier fuel each and every day. Stop by your neighborhood Thriftway today because everybody deserves some TLC. Thriftway Superstops is a proud sponsor of the ButteCast. Now, let's get the show started.
2: Welcome to the ButteCast with Bill Foley. It's a podcast about the greatest city in the world. You, America. Amen. Let's meet the people and characters who make Butte the richest hill on earth. Woo-hoo! Now, here's my dad, Bill Foley. I'm to be from you, America, USA.
1: Robert Lester is truly a one-of-a-kind. He doesn't need a chairlift to be a downhill skier. He doesn't even need snow for that matter. He once skied down the black slab piles outside of Anaconda in the middle of summer. When he travels from Butte to the Pacific Ocean this spring, the 2015 Butte High graduate will not be taking a train, plane, or automobile. Rather, Robert will put in a canoe in Silver Creek and take the Clark Fork and Columbia Rivers to the ocean. You heard that right. From what we know, he will be the first person to do this He is combining a little Lewis and Clark with some Evel Knievel. A documentary crew will be filming Lester's trip, which is for so much more than a venture. He is looking to point out some problems and promote the health of the Columbia Basin. Lester, a winner of the Mariah Day McCarthy Scholarship in 2015, is the product of two great Butte families. One grandfather is Don Tamietti, the legendary Butte wrestling coach. The annual Cyclops tournament is named in his honor. I might be a little biased, but the Lester family is pretty great too. His great-uncle Tom was an outstanding athlete before becoming a legendary professor and coach at Montana Tech. His great-aunt Betty was my third-grade teacher. She is hands-down the most important teacher of my life. Yesterday, I sat down with Robert at Metal Sports Bar and Grill for some lunch and a great conversation. Listen in as we talk about that family of Lester's. Listen as he discusses his life as a mountaineer and his love of the outdoors. Listen as he talks about the incredible journey he plans to embark on around May 5th. As always, thank you for continuing to support our sponsors. They are the ones who bring us these fun conversations. Tell them you heard them on the Buttecast. Also, please show those family members and friends of yours who are less than technologically savvy how they too can listen to the Buttecast. Now, let's get to know a true Butte original Robert Lester. All right, Robert, I'm going to start with the question that you probably get from most people is, what the heck are you doing?"
3: Uh, yeah. I, I'm pretty lucky. I get to live a life where I get, a, I get to do a lot of different stuff. Yeah. I get to do a lot of climbing, a yeah. lot of skiing, uh, I get to climb a lot of mountains, and uh, I'm, I'm really lucky. I get to see a lot of beautiful things, do a lot of cool things.: Yes,
1: yeah. so yeah, that's probably one of the questions you get those a lot is, uh, really? Kind of, yeah exactly it's a little non-standard for sure yeah because you're just out of the ordinary You're just having fun but this last thing you got going or this next thing I should say you got going on is uh kind of a cross between evil Knievel and Lewis and Clark <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's a fair way to put it yeah. yeah um so I uh I originally had the idea when I was a little kid yeah we used to build uh Little like wooden boats like kids do, and we'd float them down the Jefferson River. Yeah. And I always really liked the idea that you could go from there all the way to uh, Louisiana. Yeah. And so, like, I was like, man, I should do that one day. And then Mm -hmm. I realized, like, as I got a little older, it was like, I should go the short way first. Yeah. (laughs) And then I got a little older and got a little older, and I had never really like actually committed to it. I'd done a ton of the research and all this stuff, and then this fall I was talking to a friend of mine who's like. He's a really, really cool kid. Um, a little older than me, but he's like a huge inspiration in my life. Yeah. And uh, he w- thought it was so cool. And he talking to him, he thought it was so cool. It was like I gotta do it. So this spring, I will be uh, I'll be canoeing from here in town. We'll put in and we'll canoe all the way to the Pacific Coast.
1: Which is so, uh, that's a long trip. What is it? Twelve hundred thirty miles. I yeah, think you said? that's the estimate. That is, that like is a long thirty. Yeah, because it's, it's not like the crow flies in it? it's the <laughs> no, river flows. Yeah, float. Was, river miles, exactly. Yeah, as, as we got in, uh, one time we did a protest uh, float that they had going on. It was, probably, I think, 2005, they had a protest float cause Kennedy... Bill Kennedy and was built by a bunch of land, trying to yeah. block people from getting on the rivers. Right. So we went down there on the Jefferson, and I went with Matt Vincent. They're not the Jefferson, the Ruby. Yeah. And the Ruby's a meandering son of a gun. It's not good for floating. <laughs> yeah. you know, It t- takes three hours to go. what would take you five minutes to walk. Yeah. So, but Matt Vincent, who I figured, you know, he's a guy, he's been in the river a lot. He knows what he's doing. I'm following him. You know, I'm not a river guy. Mm-hmm. So uh, we went to the next bridge down, and we floated like seven hours. Got burned like crazy. To get to where we were supposed to start yeah so that is, that's why you know don't take Matt Vincent uh, as your as your guide on, on this okay. one I guess I should say good to know
3: because <laughs> uh,
1: but uh, as you, you know it's a river it can
3: yeah so those are those are and then, river miles that's yeah. the estimate on the river miles It's yeah. 1230 and like who knows what it'll actually end up being we'll see but yeah. we it should take like around 40 days yeah so yeah
1: and you got you got such an interesting uh, upbringing past but of course first i want to dive into this a little bit but uh and you're getting in where, where do you will you get in in view
3: we're gonna put in right uh there on montana street so mm-hmm. that way we don't have to come through you know like the walking trail there has mm-hmm. like all those culverts and stuff like that originally yeah. the idea was father sheen park but we don't really want to go through those culverts and stuff so yeah. Right uh, right. basically on the edge of town. We'll start right there where Montana, where Silverbrook Creek comes under Montana Street.
1: Yeah. And then you go, how, how long of, uh, where exactly do you, does the creek run into uh, the Clark Fork? Because I'm not yeah. I'm Not the greatest out, no. I'm, I'm the least Montana in Montana you'll ever <laughs> run into.
3: So we'll go all the way out, kind of all the way towards Warm Springs. We'll hit Warm Springs yeah. Creek and then we'll go kind of by Gold Creek there in Garrison. Yeah. And then the Little Blackfoot will come in. And, oh, goes uh, a little Blackfoot
1: for that. Yeah, see.
3: exactly. I think I know that. And I, many Creek. times I've driven past there. And uh, so then that's where it kind of becomes the Clark Fork. Then we'll run the Clark Fork all the way to uh, um, Thompson Falls. And then that's uh, where it tr- starts to change into, like, the Oreille. And then from there, the Columbia is just after that, after, like, Sandpoint, Idaho. Yeah. So okay. you go through Lake Pend Oreille. Yeah, exactly. Which is a big lake. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so we'll be we'll be kind of skirting the edge of that more than heading across the middle. Yeah. So so you head up there, and does does the river go into Canada and then back in? Down it the does. Outside? It'll be in Canada for about thirty miles. So, we uh, we've done some research, but it'll be kind of interesting crossing in and coming back uh, through Canada there for a minute. So, there's, there's
1: no border patrol right there. I can't. Well, so there either. isn't
3: on the way. Into Canada in the river, but on the way out, there's like a a major crossing right oh, there. Oh, really? So I'm wondering if we're gonna have to pick out the canoe, set it on land, go talk to the border crossing, so they don't yeah. uh, watch us as we wave crossing by in the river. So mm-hmm. we'll have to see how that goes. Yeah,
1: because yeah, borders are a little more of a tenuous deal nowadays. Yeah, than they exactly.
3: Used to be. <laughs> so we have all our passports and all that. So, so who's going with you? um Right now we have uh, we have a film crew of these four guys. Uh, a few of them are from montana state um i met them they're different camera guys i've worked with them doing skiing and climbing yeah. stuff and then one kid uh neil larson is going to be kind of the primary filmmaker he's out of salt lake city he's done a bunch of documentaries stuff like that yeah. so, are
1: they going to be with you the whole time or are they kind of switching on and kind
3: on? of switching on and off and seeing who you know what we can do for this you know it's a big schedule of days so yeah. it's about trying to Make sure it's all covered, make sure everybody's there at some yeah. point. And how many so, days do you think it will take? 40 days is the guess. Yeah. So that's averaging 30, 30 river miles a day. It'll take 41 days. So you're,
1: uh, you're leaving tenuously, you have this schedule set at uh, tentatively, say, at
3: May 5th? Yeah, sometime around there. It depends a little on the weather, you know, yeah. and how things are looking. Well, which the
1: weather, this time of year... Of course, that might you know the the water gets flowing like it can. Yeah, might cut that down to 30 days. (laughs) Well, so and that's
3: the positive, right? There's there's kind of a catch 22 there. It's like, you know, the high water makes things a little can make it a little more tenuous, make things a little more interesting depending on you know rapid sections stuff like that. But it makes it a lot quicker, which is nice. You know, if you went late summer, it'd take. Sixty or you know sixty-five yeah. days.
1: It, it can be dangerous
3: too this time of year. A little bit, right? But yeah. yeah, we will be actually because we'll be in a canoe. That's like the right uh vessel for the journey. Yeah. But it's also like the worst for whitewater. So major whitewater sections will actually have to portage around. We'll be taking the canoe out and walking on right. like the harder whitewater. They'll like, be easier Like the shoots
1: run. shoots on uh a river runs through it. Yeah, exactly. Is, it, is that
3: actually on your route? That isn't. I believe oh. that's, uh, I think that's on the Blackfoot. Itself. Is that okay? Yeah. So, I don't think they're as bad as the The, the movie makes shows it look, them. Yeah. No. <laughs> Great movie, though.
1: Yeah, but so you're going to, you, you have to, yeah, you have to get out and walk yeah, around. Yeah, on the hard part. sections. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
3: There'll be some rapids we'll run and some that we have to walk around. And it'll kind of depend on conditions and how water yeah. levels are. And th- that'll be tough in itself, though, picking up, the, yeah. carrying the canoe when walking. So a big part of that's been that, like, we have a, this canoe's made custom for us which is really cool um navarro canoes is making it for us it's going to be like 17 feet long but it'll only weigh about 50 pounds so that and then we'll keep the gear as light as we can so that you know and then we'll resupply as far as food goes along the way of yeah, course there's, there's, there's a lot of, you go know, right through some cities and towns. Exactly. Right? Missoula. Yeah. Um, we'll go through uh, Sandpoint, you know. Will you ever get out and sleep in a hotel or is this all going to be sleeping in a Probably camping own? is the plan the yeah. whole way, yeah. <laughs> Exactly, we'll see. Maybe, might have to one day, we don't well, know. Some of
1: those those hotels on the Clark Fork might be a little tempting. Yeah, no way. <laughs> yeah isn't that the truth? <laughs>
3: yeah. I think Quinn Hot Springs is on the route. I know it is. So, yeah. it'd be tough not to go get a cabin at Quinn and spend the night. Yeah, so obviously you're uh, a skilled canoer, you know. Yeah, you're a bit. Pretty, yeah. I'm, uh, I've am i done some river trips. Canoeing's actually like maybe on my weaker side. Really? I'm a better rafter probably than I am a yeah. canoeer, but you know, putting a raft in Silver Bow Creek wouldn't get you very far, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not going to take you too far. Now, uh, of course, here's the question I'm asking on behalf of your mother. You're, you're going to be yeah. wearing life jacket the whole time? Yeah, of course.
3: <laughs> so, life jacket and helmet on the, uh, on the difficult rapid sections, and then life jacket will be in the boat on the more meandering sections or when we'll be, like, yeah. if we're, you know, walking or something like that. Yeah, and... Uh, there's, of course, one of the, you list
1: three reasons to do it. One uh, was to uh, kind of highlight the removal of the indigenous people yeah. on, on, along the Columbia River, you know, the basin. And, and one was about to highlight the, the dangers from, or the, the impact of the mining, Yeah. basically. And then the third is the dams. Yeah, exactly. Because there's a lot of dams. So you're, there's going to be some dams you're going to have to walk around.
3: Yeah, we, we expect to probably walk around 40 dams. Yeah. Uh, major dams on the Columbia. 40 times we'll have to portage the canoe. We'll take it out and walk it around those dams. Yeah. We expect 40, 40, plus times. 40, so, that's a lot
4: of...
1: Yeah, a lot of dams lot to of dams. go around. Are you going to say dam every time? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a damn big dam. Yeah. yeah it's, you know, I, 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 I'm such, I'm an eighth, you know, mentally yeah. I'm an eighth grader still, so I would you know, be doing that the whole yeah. time. So, so what... Uh, what do you hope to get out of this as far as you know your doc you're making is it going to be a movie kind of a series yeah
3: a little like a little feature length 45 minute to an hour documentary you know like I said this was something that I wanted to do but then when I like committed to doing it I realized that you know I wanted it to be more than just something for me I want it to be something that has an impact so you know hopefully we can talk about some of these things like the three things you just Mm -hmm. mentioned yeah for sure and you know Hopefully we can influence kind of the future health of the Columbia all the way from here in Butte all the way to the ocean. So the idea is just to try and have a little bit of an influence and try and to leave a little bit of a positive impact throughout the journey.
1: Yeah, because you, of course, keeping our rivers healthy is kind of
3: a big deal. Yeah, you know, and and I mean, I think that it's a no-brainer for a lot of Montanans that it's like, you know, we use these rivers and they're big recreational draws for us and a lot of beauty for us but I think for a lot of people it it doesn't feel that way they don't have the connection to the land that a lot of Montanans do and maybe we'll inspire a little of that too
1: yeah if you uh of course one of the things about our cleanup in Butte you know which yeah. is an issue that hangs over our head like nobody's business is right. we see the pit just down the street from us here at Metals you know yeah and if we went straight if we went straight lining into the pit but uh the cleanup they, they cleaned up started in Missoula yeah exactly. and moved backwards yeah. And there's nobody can ever explain to me how that makes sense other than the squeaky wheel got the grease, you know. Yeah. You know, Missoula wanted their cleanup, and they were louder and had more influence, and they got cleaned up, and they moved backwards in the river. So the whole time, you know, it's like, I think uh, Fritz Daly said, it was like, you, you spill a gallon of milk on the floor, and you start mopping before you pick the gallon up. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, the water, because the contaminated water was still going in. And yeah. it's, it's not, my daughter did a... Science project when she was in sixth grade, and we kind of showed that that the the creek that they call Silver, Silver Bow Creek there, yeah. that they don't want to call a creek, you know, we yeah. had to fight how that still contaminates, you know, blacktail, you know, because the blacktail's not as contaminated before exactly. it meets it as it is after it. Right. You know, so is, is that going to be part of it, just the whole, when you're talking about the mining?
3: Yeah, so uh, a big part of it, I'm actually, I don't know the answer to your question about why Missoula. Um, yeah. Is, Just bad politics,
1: probably. Maybe yeah. it is.
3: Yeah. Um, but I'm actually, I'll be, I might be able to answer that in, after this week. Yeah. So I have a few interviews set up. I'm going to go down to Missoula on Thursday and talk about uh, with the head of the Clark Fork uh, Coalition. Going to oh, talk okay. to her a little bit about the, the Milltown Down removal and yeah. that. And then also this week, I have a few uh, people at like DNRC I'm going to talk to and interview, like Pat Canine. And talk to mm-hmm. him a little about the cleanup that's happened. And he's going to point me in a direction to talk to some more people. He's and, good, yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe I can answer some of those, yeah. he, those questions my, my, He afterwards. helped us
1: with the science project. Helped my daughter yeah. with the science project. which, uh, Yeah, and I think that's probably the answer. You'll probably find is, they shouldn't have done it quite that way. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they had to do the dam first. You know, I don't know. I don't know. You know I, I, it'd, it'd be interesting to actually get a real answer because Fritz has been screaming that question at the top of his lungs for, you know, 15 years now. Yeah, no and joke. never gotten an answer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so
3: maybe I can tell you why.
1: <laughs> That's interesting. So, uh, now, uh, what about the indigenous people part of it that interests you? Do you have, do you have any kind of native heritage?
3: Uh, personally, I don't, but I've always, you know, I've always felt uh, like, again, kind of a stronger connection with the land, yeah. being from Montana and here. And specifically, I just think it's important that you know, like, the use of the river by Native peoples was forever sustainable. Yes, yeah. the technology we have now is not the same, but like, yeah. we can learn a lot there. And in addition, like, until those sorts of people are being you know, considered stakeholders, there's no way that we can have like, a truly healthy Columbia River. You yeah.
1: Know? yeah, I always like the way the Native people viewed land in general yes like they would look at a mountain and they thought it's everybody's mountain it says everybody's land exactly you know the white man comes in and that's my land exactly that's my mountain you know and you, you can't get on the river there and this is my river you know right. which we see that that fight it's a struggle we've been fighting like crazy and all the time And you know and with the current climate of the politics i i worry about it even more and more but uh yeah because you can't like we went on the kennedy protesting yeah. and that was all about the high water mark and all that where you can get on the river but you're going to be going past some people who don't think you have a right to be on that water yeah they think they own it
3: exactly you know which and is insane it's kind of funny the point you just made right is that native peoples believed that you know it was everybody owned this yeah and now we've kind of made it to a point where those people who believe that everybody owned it have the least amount of you know say and yeah. the least amount of ownership in a lot of ways yeah. and so that's you know Fixing that is a step to making sure that we all own these rivers and that we yeah. all, you know, we all get to use them for recreation, for our lifestyle, for as we need, you know.
1: Yeah, and they're the lifeblood of communities. Yeah, exactly. Know, and it's, it's, they're so important. Is there uh, is there any spots you're, you're particularly looking forward to? I, I that's my. I drive to Seattle whenever yeah. I go there? My favorite part is when you go down that. Across the bridge, you know, you go down the hill, the steep grade, and then you cross the bridge. I think that's one of the coolest places. Yeah, you'll be be going right underneath that.
3: Yep, I'm. I'm for some reason I'm excited about. I think it'll be a really cool point, and it'll be a a long ways down the journey. But when we hit uh, Portland, we'll actually go right through the bridge that separates Portland and Washington. There. Oh yeah. And Oregon and Washington, you know. So I think that'll be really interesting. I think. I think that there's going to be a lot of interesting parts. Things like you know going through uh, Canada there for a little bit might be kind of interesting. Yeah. We'll have to see. And then you know a lot of those dam crossings will be, you know, maybe not something I'm going to look forward to at the time, but it's something that I'm yeah. I'm excited to see how it happens, how it works, yeah. how we can figure. That's it out. That's a lot of dams. I it didn't is. realize there's that many. And it's how crazy. many of them are like major dams? Um, the like the really big ones, I believe it's like thirteen, really. I don't. That's probably going to be take a lot that. to get around, though. Right? Yeah, those exactly. Ones. Those are the those are like the large major dams, I believe. Yeah. But I should look into that. Yes, yeah, so that's going to take a haul. Yeah. To get that 50 pound canoe.
1: Yeah. I know, and around. all the
3: gear. It'll be a few miles for sure.
1: Yeah, a little bit of a little bit of walk in there. So, what what are you going to do when you you get to the coast? You going to spend some time on the beach, whatever? <laughs> Enjoy
3: you... it. Yeah, probably have to. Probably never want to get a, in a canoe again in my life. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. Oh, don't have too much planned for once we get there, but uh, I'm sure it'll be a great end of the journey to be, yeah. be out there on the coast.
1: And you're not going to take the Lewis and Clark way home because when they came up, they came up the river. Yeah, no, <laughs> we're just taking the easy way, just the yeah. downhill.
3: <laughs> None of the or downstream, I should say, none of the none of the walking back upstream. Could you imagine what they
1: must have went through when they? Because obviously you studied yeah. Lewis and Clark.
3: Exactly, and the the craziest part to me is not coming back that direction. It's when they were first coming up to Montana, yeah. up on the other side of the divide, right? Yeah. They were hauling that full-sized keel boat, including hauling that around the the Great Falls. When they're coming yeah. back this way from the Portland coast, the Oregon coast. Excuse yeah. me. They're uh, hauling dugout canoes like I will be, but can you imagine hauling that yeah. keel boat from? It's a lot of stuff. From to... St. Louis all the way to Montana.
1: Yeah, that, of course. There's a reason it took a really long yeah, time exactly. to do that, but
3: and even just going upstream in the river. Yeah, I can't even imagine. I think they they talk about where they they were only making it, you know, as 500 yards a day
1: sometimes. Really? Yeah. So you, isn't that something you can see in the morning? You can get up and see where you're going to be
3: at the end of the day. Yeah crazy, right? Yeah. Backbreaking labor for 14 hours. Yeah. So you've studied that expedition quite a bit. Probably yeah. Probably more it than was, most. It was something that I always enjoyed even when we learned about it in school. It was yeah. something that I just I just loved to yeah. learn about. Yeah. Because so, yeah. we all,
1: everybody, anyone in Montana. Yeah. You, you had your history class and you're in junior high or whatever. You, you're studying Lewis and Clark. Definitely. Yeah. And I had, I took a Montana history class at the University of Montana with Harry Fritz, which was one of my all time favorite classes. but. It seems like there was two parts of uh, the class. There was Lewis and Clark, and there's Butte. That was a Montana history class.
3: That's how it felt uh, for me in high yeah. school too, right? There yeah. Were, there was. They'd talk about Lewis and Clark. They'd talk about mining, and mining immediately led yeah. into talk about Butte. You yeah. Know? And you you graduated with Butte High what 2015? 2015.
1: So what does exactly. that make you about 26? Yeah, I'm about. To, I'll turn 26 this summer. This Okay. We're pretty close there on the yeah. on the guess on that. It's 26 and. Uh, you've always just kind of been an outdoorsy kind of guy?
3: Yeah. Um, so I, like, I always grew up skiing with my mom, and then my dad kind of taught me, like, the adventure part. Oh, you yeah. Know, he, uh, if he could go back in time, he'd probably be a mountain man, like a fur trapper type. Yeah. Like, it just fits the things he loves. So he, like, taught me quite a bit of that and about, you know, the love for the outdoors and the love for adventure. And yeah. so, you know, when I finished college at MSU... It was kind of this time that I, like, I didn't think I was going to, you know, not get a job right away forever, but it was kind of like, I didn't want to get a job for a year so that I could, you know, really enjoy these things that yeah. I do and get to mountaineer and get to adventure, and uh, I've just been keeping it up, so. Yeah. And you come from two of the most interesting families around,
1: because, of course, the Lester family, uh, your great-uncle Tom was yep. a coach up at Tech, yep. and his, his wife, Betty, yeah, it, she's, she's still around. She uh, was my third grade teacher. And, and I wrote a column for Butte Sports. Uh, it's probably in 2012. It's probably early part of Butte Sports. I wrote about how I had her my second time in third grade. And I didn't care about school. I didn't give up. And I had her. And she was so much fun. You know, because her, her son Steve was playing for Butte High at the time. And that was the year I was in, I was in third grade the second time, 83, yeah. 84, which was the season Butte High Bulldogs won the state title. And and Steve, I don't know how close you are with Steve.
3: Not super close. Yeah, but he I was, was closer a super with, athlete.
1: with Tom and Betty. Yeah, but Steve was a great basketball player. Obviously, he's yeah. a good football player. He's, a, a, I think, a two handicap golfer at the time, and you know like that. Yeah. And then he was drafted by the Phillies to play yeah. baseball. So he was just just an amazing athlete. And your your dad is uh, is also named same same the same name as you because yeah, you're, Robert. You're both I'm Robert, Robert J- Lester, yeah. Jr. Yeah. And uh, and so your grandpa.
3: What, what was your grandpa's
1: name? He's Bill. He's, and he's yeah. still alive, right? No, oh, Bill he, passed oh.
3: away probably five years ago. Okay, yeah. He Bill. was the oldest. So. And your
1: grandma's Rita, is Exactly. Right? Yeah, and there, so Bill was brothers with Tom. Yep. I think we lost Tom around 2010, 29, yeah. 2009, you know, something like that. Pretty early. And he would, I had him as a professor at Montana Tech in sociology. Yeah. And he was, it was like having a stand-up comedian every day. That's wonderful. He, yeah. Uh, one time he talked about a fight that he was in yeah and I think I wrote a column about this too once about him uh there was a fight on the field on, on the court but he was talking about crowd control yeah and how you know you let you don't worry about as much the fight that's happening as, as the people jumping in yeah and he was on the bench and he said uh, these guys start fighting and he jumps off the bench and he yells at his teammates anybody leaves the bench you're off the team yeah you know kind of just warns him and then and he says that he felt he was pretty good. You know, look at me. I'm a big crowd control guy, yeah. sociology teacher, you know, Tom Lester. I got the situation under control. And then he says, and I turned around, and I saw my assistant coach, and he's like motion like he's going to punch, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then he says, all right, have a good weekend. I'll see you. that's <laughs> how so he ended it on a punchline. So I never actually heard of the story <laughs> the of the story melee. And, so I, yeah. I, I never did get the story of the big melee that ensued. Following that, what he thought had under control. That's funny. But he was such a character, and he, he reminded me of, uh, he had the Telly Savali look, you know, Yeah. bald head. Yeah, you know? exactly. Just a cool guy. He uh, Great athlete, too.
3: Our family always tells the story when he was coaching tech uh, that he, his, like, proudest moment was that they punted on third down <laughs> because the wind was blowing so much, and the quarter was going to change, yeah. and that they were going to punt into this, like, 40-mile-an-hour wind instead yeah. of at their back. And they were on the one-yard line and punted on third down and punted like something like an 87-yard punt or something <laughs> insane. That's so.
1: awesome. That's strategic. Yeah, that's yeah, not surprising because he was is. And you think an IQ test, his has to be almost perfect score. Yeah. (laughs) You know, for how smart he was. Yeah. Congratulations to this week's Lescavar Honda Athletes of the Week Ethan Easy Cunningham of Butte High and Ella Moodry of Butte Central. Cunningham, a senior, earns the boys' honor after pitching Butte High to an 8 5 win in the Bulldogs' first ever high school baseball game in Columbus. Cunningham lived up to his nickname by going six innings, scattering five hits, and giving up two earned runs. He walked one and struck out 13 Cougars. Cunningham also had a big day at the dish, going one for one with a single. He worked three walks. Mudry, a junior, receives the girls' award after winning the javelin to Townsend Invitational with a mark of 116 feet. Mudry also placed sixth in the high jump and seventh in the 100-meter dash. The javelin victory begins a promising season for Mudry, who placed second in the javelin to Class A state meet last May. She won the state title in the event as a freshman. Congratulations Anilla, and thank you Lescavar Honda for recognizing the hardworking student athletes of the Mining City. Hey Butte America, John Davis here at Lescavar Honda. We just received a new shipment of cars, trucks and SUVs and we have them priced and moved. Our new vehicles come with a 20 year, 200,000 mile warranty and two years or 24,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. Most of our pre-owned vehicles come with the same 20 or 200,000 mile warranty with most makes and models on our lot and of course all prices are clearly marked stop on down and see us our Honda are you looking for a place to host a special event or a party or just looking for a drink served by the best mixologist in town look no further than 51 below speakeasy and casino take a step back in time and enjoy some of our signature cocktails such as an old-fashioned or a pink make
0: Stop in for happy hour Monday through Thursday from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. and 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. Friday and Saturday for $2 cans of your favorite beer or two for five
1: seltzers or oil mixers. Or try one of our tap beers for just $5 along with weekly specialty cocktails. Located underneath the Miner's Hotel where Butte locals receive a 20% discount on rooms, 51 Below has live music every Friday night. So stop by 51 Below Speakeasy and Casino for a good time with good friends and great drinks. And don't forget to dial five. Lockmer Plumbing is more than Butte's complete union plumbing shop. Whether it is sponsoring Little League Baseball, High School Athletics, Montana Tech, Youth Racing, 4-H, Mining City Christmas, Action Inc.'s Homeless Solution Program, Head Start, or Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Butte, Lockmer Plumbing is always looking out for the people of the Mining City. Owned and operated by Troy and Amy Lockmer since 2002, Lockmer Plumbing can handle all your residential, commercial, and industrial plumbing needs as well as making repairs and installations on all plumbing and boiler systems. In the heart of Uptown Butte, Lockmer Plumbing can also assist on new construction and planning for your new home or development. Call 406-782-2224 or visit LockmerPlumbing.com today. Lockmer Plumbing has your pipes covered and so much more.
0: This message is brought to you by Anode Designs in Anaconda. I know what you're all thinking, fully, you twit. Why are you letting this Anaconda hack get connected with the Butte cast? Well, folks, money talks. Anode Designs is a printing and direct-to-garment shop in Anaconda, but that's not all we do. We actually specialize in embroidery and graphic design. We also dabble in sign creation and vinyl banners, also decals for your motor vehicles. Now, there are so many great options for screen printers out there. Take 5518, for example. You all know the work John and company do in Butte. And like me, they support local guys like this who started a podcast, really original. But if your current printer is too busy to get your job done in a timely fashion, why not give us a try? For a limited time only, all new businesses who place an order with Anode Designs will get their screen, embroidery, and graphic design origination fees waived. Just call 406-563-0121 or email LLC at gmail.com and use the code Foley Who? during the consultation. Anode Designs is a proud supporter of the ButteCast and is pushing hard to get more Anaconda talent on the show. Don't just take it from me. Listen to the buttery smooth voice of a Butte legend tell you. There's two
1: things we like about Butte. It's 24 miles away, and Tom O'Neill. Welcome to Copperhead Country. And then your the other side of the family, your mom's of course, is, is Becky Tamietti. Tamietti. Yeah. Her dad is the the legendary Cyclops himself, Don exactly. Tamietti, who is... I mean, a lot of people know him as a wrestling coach. Yeah. You know, And I, and I knew him because he, was, because he was a wrestling coach, but I didn't know him because I didn't wrestle. I, you know, I was never yeah. tough enough to... Or maybe I was too smart. I didn't want to be a wrestler. I knew yeah. that, you know, right off the bat. But just sitting down and talking to him, he was so funny. And, and I don't know how, how well you got to know
3: him. Uh, he passed away when I was probably six or seven. But yeah. I, had a, I had a pretty good relationship. And the, the, the funny thing is the stories live on. Like, yeah. you know, and the older I get, the more that I've become an adult, the more I get to hear the real stories yeah. all the time when it comes to Don. So. Yeah, it was so quick. So funny, you know, like
1: uh, Gary Hansen is my cousin and yeah. he was a great wrestler as a young kid, you know, and he wrestled a kid that one time and he was missing a hand yeah you know he's missing his hand and just as he's about getting ready to wrestle he says to gary says man some kids will do anything to make weight (laughs) (laughs) you know just kind of and it worked well because gary was nervous yeah at the time you know it was a big match yeah you kind of lightened the mood a little bit and took the tension off it you know that's great so it worked out well and then plus it was funny as hell yeah you know to say that and such a great guy you know of course the, the tournament lives on
3: yeah which is great. Yeah, it's, uh, it's you know, a bradge of uh, honor for, yeah. like, the kids in our family who never even met him, who, uh, you know, are a generation too young, like my cousin's kids, you know, yeah. uh, still get a chance to wrestle in the tournament. And that's, yeah. like, you know, that's a big positive for our family, yeah. for sure. And it's
1: not a politically correct name, either, to no. call a guy Cyclops, because he had one eye. On. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> but but. They, they, I remember they first had the tournament, he told me this, he he had a heart attack or had heart issues, yeah. so they had the tournament, and then they it may have been a year or two, and then they didn't have it for a year. Yeah. And he says they saw I was going to live, so they canceled <laughs> it.
3: canceled the tournament. Yeah, yeah that's but, funny.
1: And so, did, were you a wrestler?
3: No, I never actually wrestled. I ended really? up uh, I was uh, I ended up being like a mixed martial arts uh, fighter a yeah. few yeah. times. I took a few mixed martial arts fights later. But uh, I'm sure if I had been a little older, I would have probably become a wrestler, but I never was.
1: Really? You got not, yeah. that pretty young?
3: Yeah, I did. I was when I was like five.
1: Really? Who'd you train with?
3: John Atman. Oh, so, the great John yeah, Atman. exactly. Yeah. He's, been a, he's been a huge impact in my life.
1: Yeah. And he's an outdoorsy kind of guy, too. If you wa- exactly. watch his Facebook feed, you see some of the stuff he's doing.
3: Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's still to this day a, a huge part of my life. I love going and seeing John. And uh, I'm pretty close with his girls too. Yeah. So
1: they're, and they're a lot like their dad. Yeah. Great athletes too. Yeah. And they were all tough as nails too. Yeah. Smart and tough. Yeah. No you doubt know. about it. Wouldn't want to fight either one of them, even the tiniest one. No, exactly. You know, the youngest <laughs> one, she'd beat you, you know. Yeah. She knows some moves. So, and you grew up, so you did that for a long time then? And you fought some?
3: Yeah. So, I, I did that. Started with John when I was like five. And then when I turned 18, I, I fought uh, MMA like five times. Three times here at the Civic Center. Oh, did you? So, oh, uh, how was your record? I didn't lose. I was lucky. Really? So, and yeah. and they got out. Yeah, exactly. I uh, I always joked that I was too pretty yeah. to do that <laughs> sport for too long. No, I loved it, but it just wasn't. Uh, it wasn't where my like heart pulled as much as the outdoors is. Like it just. Yeah my heart pulls to the outdoors a lot more than it did to to fighting.
1: When well, you're not getting punched in the face as much in the outdoors probably.
3: Yeah, exactly. If I do everything right, I shouldn't be punched at all in the yeah. outdoors. Yeah.
1: <laughs> did you did you see that fight the other night with the knockout? That crazy insane I hammer did. punch knockout? Yeah. yeah. That's where I was why there's no way I ever want to get involved in that sport with that 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 last punch was hard just vicious. Yeah.
3: Those guys are a lot bigger than me too. I was lucky. I was fighting at like at the time Uh, Some of the lower weight classes and it's nice guys don't hit near as hard as they do when they're, you know 200 pounds plus. Yeah,
1: yeah, there's a big difference there. Yeah, and uh, you started skiing your mom She's a ski instructor isn't she?
3: Yeah, she was for a long time. She uh, she doesn't do it anymore Now she's just skiing for herself again, but yeah, yeah, she taught me how to ski when I was uh, when I was like four years old So you were were one of
1: those little shits that went down without the poles in. Yeah, exactly. And everyone else is trying to struggle how to ski and you're just going by them?
3: Funny enough, I would have never thought to tell this story, but when I was uh, um, my very first day skiing, I went out there and my mom props Mm. me up and I decided that I wasn't going to listen to her and that (laughs) I knew how to ski. Four years old, never put them on before, I was going to ski. And actually, uh, we ran into Tom. Lester up there. No kidding. No. And uh, he sat me down and told me, "Hey, you're gonna listen, <laughs> and you're gonna go get in this lesson, and you're gonna, you know you're not gonna complain, you're not gonna cry." And I was, yeah,
1: yeah. He, so sat me and down. And you listened to Tom, not did. your mom.
3: I didn't listen to my mom at the time, but Tom. Mm-hmm. Tom probably has a lot to do with why I ski so much now.
1: <laughs> was it just probably his calm
3: demeanor and explaining to that you're gonna do it? Yeah, I think he, I remember him sitting me down. I was throwing a bit of a fit yeah. at the time. It, it
1: seems like your mom would be way scarier than Tom.
3: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, <laughs> definitely. When she's mad, yeah. yeah, exactly. But uh, I think it was just one of those things that sometimes kids don't like to listen to their parents as much as, yeah. you know, if somebody else tells a kid the same thing their parents do, yeah. a lot of times the kid will do it if someone else says so, you know. Yeah. That's
1: good. And your mom, course, I, your mom's got pretty good ties to my family too because yeah. she was, uh, when she was a kid, she barmaid my, at uh, the Plaza Pub. Right. And my grandpa Billy used to sometimes bartend. And so they worked together. And so that's how I I ran into her, and we got to talking a lot. And, you know, we shared thousands of stories together. She probably – I don't know if she told you many of them, but we always had a dollar bet on the Bears-Packers games, which I never won, I don't think.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's still – you guys still go to today. I think that's, like, my first memories of you are, you know, when I was a kid, my mom talking about – about, you know, the guy who writes the sports column, I, yeah. you know, I got a bet on the Bears-Packers game. The dirty dollar she starts calling. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So,
1: yeah. So were you a good skier right away then? Did you did take, just take to it naturally?
3: Yeah, I mean, we used to go all the time. Um, I think, you know, when I, when I was that little, it was like my mom just threw me in the car. I got to sleep on the way up, you know, put me in the gear, and then I could go. And I just always loved it. I always, you know, always loved it. Um, and just, you know, it was kind of one of those things that as a kid, especially, I could never get enough of, you know, like, yeah. got to go to the Discovery every weekend. We'd have season passes and season rentals, and we'd just get to go, you know, every weekend from start to finish.
1: Man. At what age were you when Discovery wasn't enough for you, that you wanted to try harder things?
3: Well, so for me, it was like, I didn't ski outside of Discovery until I was in high school. Really? And uh, it was it was cool, like... You, you know, had the backside the whole
1: time. When I skied as a yeah. kid, there it was just one lift.
3: At yeah. First. yeah, yeah. Um, but no, yeah, I had the backside the whole time. And you know the famous like the famous saying. I think it might be Brian Wilson, but that uh, um, if you can see the backside of Discovery, you can ski anywhere. Like yeah. that's definitely how I felt. It's like, steep. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's good skiing back there. It's good terrain, and if you can, you know, if you can ski it and ski it well, you can ski anywhere
1: really? out there. So it gave you the confidence to. Yeah, you know,
3: there were times when, like, you first head into, like, the alpine terrain where you go up a lift and there's no trees around you, you know, and you're skiing, like, rock chutes instead, that it's a little, like, you know, was a little unnerving some of my first times, but then, like, you realize that it's, you know, nothing's changed. It's all the same. Well, I see some
1: of those videos people have on YouTube or the reels or, you know, something. And when they're skiing off that stuff, I I don't, I can't imagine trying it. It's so skinny you can't even, sometimes you hardly turn.
3: Yeah, that's like that's my favorite stuff. That's probably what I'm best at. Like really? the skinnier and the steeper, the better. Wow. Yeah, that that just because
1: I, I was more of a pigeon, you know, what, yeah, you wouldn't. Yeah. Put the Pizza? Pigeon, yeah. You go down. <laughs> yeah, I like that. So with the Wilson brothers, did you look up to them quite a bit?
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, one time, Brian, after he won the bronze medal in the Olympics, came and yeah, talked. 2010. Yeah. Yeah, when I was in East Middle School. Okay. And so. he came and talked to East Middle School, and. it It was funny, you know, at the time I played baseball forever growing up too, Yeah. and uh, he talked about having to choose between, you know, whether he wanted to be a baseball player or a skier. And I thought, man, that that was the same parallel for me and that I was going to find that point. And uh, it's funny because, like, for me what actually happened was the point of whether I wanted to like really pursue fighting or really pursue skiing. Yeah. Um, You know, I thought when I like stopped playing baseball at, you know, when I was done with high school, I was like, oh, this was the decision. I decided to be a skier instead. Yeah. But really that, like, that same parallel decision didn't happen until a few years later when it was the choice more between, like, fighting more professionally or, you know, try to head down the, the ski route.
1: Skiing seems like a way more fun
3: option. Yeah, you know, and like I said, I I miss fighting a lot sometimes, but, like, skiing is what really has my heart. It's what, yeah and the outdoors in general, it's just seems like way too nice for a guy to be any kind of a fighter. <laughs> Have you ever been in a fight outside of. No, I've never
1: been in a fist, fist fight ever. Which, is, of course, probably. you train with John Antman. Yeah. You learn to train not to fight.
3: Well, yeah, and that's the whole thing, right? Like, just like yeah. anything, like, you know, fights in the streets can be bad. There's a hundred stories of, yeah. you know, tough butte fights that are good, but there's a lot of, you know, other stories of other places where fights can be really bad. So, like, yeah. it just wasn't too, like, I, I, I don't know, I'm not very confrontational in my personality, (laughs) so it was never, you know, anything that was, uh, I was never in a position where I had to.
2: Casa Grande Steakhouse serves steak and so much more. You cannot beat their seasoned, hand-cut, Rocky Mountain ground beef. But did you know about their menu filled with made-to-order pastas, chicken sautés, mouth-watering seafood, appetizers, enticing desserts, or their most recent addition, sushi? Thursday nights are sushi nights at Casa Granda's, where you will be welcomed as a part of the family. Casa Granda's can also handle all your catering needs with style, class, and a taste that cannot be beat. Visit Casa Granda Steakhouse inside the historic Bertoglio Warehouse at 801 South Utah Avenue in Uptown Butte. Call 406-723-4141 for reservations. Check out their menu at casagrande-steakhouse.com. Casa Grande Steakhouse, eat where the locals eat.
5: Shop where the champions shop at Dig City Supply. The Fan Gear headquarters for all things Montana Tech is right across the street from the Uptown Parking Garage on Park Street. Not only can you get your Charlie or Digger fix, but we carry the area's largest selection of Montana and Montana State apparel, as well as Butte High, Butte Central, and all the elementary school gear. Dig City is also home to the exclusive, licensed Butte Icon shirt collection. We partnered with cherished Butte institutions to offer one-of-a-kind graphic tees from places like the Silver Bow Drive-In, Beef Trail Ski Area, Bonanza Freeze, and our brand new Evil Knievel designs. Head uptown to Park Street and check out Dig City Supply and find us online at digcitysupply.com.
1: Is your house too cold or is it too hot? Either way, Lockmer Sheet Metal is here to help. With more than 40 years of experience in the heating, ventilation, and air conditioning trade, Lockmer Sheet Metal strives to bring quality service and knowledgeable work to help with your HVAC projects or needs. Lockmer Sheet Metal offers repair services for all forced air, central air systems, installation of new HVAC systems, service contracts for maintenance and service, all residential and commercial applications, fabrication of sheet metal for all types of projects and ventilation and exhaust systems, as well as commercial heating and cooling. Call 406-782-2224 or visit LockmerSheetMetal.com to warm up or cool down with Lockmer Sheet Metal, your local dealer for train heating, cooling, air handling and ventilation products. Remember Lockmer Sheet Metal for all your home heating and cooling needs.
4: Lone Peak Physical Therapy is your premier, privately owned physical therapy, occupational therapy, certified hand therapy, pelvic health and personal training facility located right here in beautiful Butte, Montana. With over 21 years of experience, our team here at Lone Peak is hyper-focused on you, your goals, and finding a way to help you get better, faster. We provide one-on-one care with the highest quality specialized services. Are you tired of dealing with your low back pain, arthritis, carpal tunnel, neck pain, headaches, and shoulder pain? Did you just have a recent surgery? Do you struggle with feeling off-balance or do you get dizzy during your day? How about a custom splint built for your hand and wrist? Did you recently have a baby and now your body feels tremendously foreign to you? Look no further. We are here for you and ready to help you move better and feel better every step of the way. You do not need a doctor's referral to come in and see us. We accept health insurance and also offer comprehensive self-pay options. Don't settle for mediocre healthcare. Your journey to living better and getting back to doing what you love can start today. Give us a call at 406-494-494. 7050 or visit our website at lonepeakpt.com to speak to an expert now.
1: Did you uh, you play baseball, you said through
3: high
1: school? Through high school, yeah. So how high did you play? We play for the I minors? played Legion, yeah. Yeah.
3: What did you play? Uh, then I, I started playing uh, outfield, but forever before that I caught from like my first yeah. days in t-ball until until Legion. When they uh, they uh, wanted me to play infield originally, I remember, and uh, I hadn't, like I said, I hadn't done anything but play catcher, and they started hitting me ground balls, and I was like, I haven't taken a ground ball since I was like seven years so. <laughs> old. No kidding. Yeah, it was like a weird deal where I just, I would never out there taking grounders, any of that, and I remember like, I only remember the basics. I have to do like alligator crocodile to take <laughs> ground balls here. <laughs> yeah.
1: So. And Jeff was coaching then. Yeah. Jeff LaProsse. Exactly.
3: He was like the, yeah, he was the head coach. Did did you like baseball a lot? Loved baseball. I loved the sport of baseball, like good hitter I, I imagine. I was yeah, I wasn't was never a bad hitter, like I don't know, I never hit for as much power as I probably I probably should have put more work into it. Yeah. I uh, I always like I loved tracking my on base percentage and loved tracking my batting yeah. average and stuff Not like really. that. So that was like more important to me than power hitting was and I, I probably should have put more work into it.
1: That. Yeah, did you never got to play on Three Legends Stadium though, did you?
3: No, it was. Uh, yeah, you
1: were playing when they had they that field like, four right out there. Yeah,
3: exactly. I remember. Um, I remember we were raising money at the time for the the stadium that's out there now.
1: Yeah, yeah. and never. But you were you were part of that. Uh, well, they got a flag up there with the number. I think it's four. The four years that they didn't have a stadium.
3: Yeah, that was us. So you're one of those four. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. when we'd play out at out at. Uh, copper mountain there and uh, just in the field and that field was so bad that like left field when you were playing left field you'd be like like three feet higher than the mound yeah and then when you were playing in right field you were like two feet lower than first base if somebody like tried to make a diving play in right field you couldn't see from the plate yeah. whether they caught the ball or
1: not it was yeah. crazy yeah yeah that's not a not a good stadium and of course they wouldn't uh they had a hard time playing double-A. Yeah. There, well, we were playing...
3: Teams. We weren't. Yeah, we were playing A at the time. I think. Yeah.
1: And, uh... But those were the teams. Those are the guys that kept the program alive. There were some years when it was down. You know, those were... that was, Those were important years. Yeah. When the program easily could have went away.
3: Yeah. I... You know, and those guys, more than us, had anything to do with it. There were yeah. a lot of people in Butte who really dedicated their time and their energy to making sure that there was going to be a stadium and that yeah. things continued and, uh... You know, I think they deserve a lot more credit yeah. than. But us. without the
1: players willing to play on that yeah. field,
3: less less an adequate
1: field. But I mean, know?
3: for us, I at mean, for me, it was like just, just got to go play baseball. You know, yeah. like that was the didn't you know maybe f- matter as much. You know, I, I to me, I was like yeah. I, we used to practice at Cinders Field when I was a kid all the time, yeah. and it didn't matter you know how nice or how bad the field was. We were just happy to be out there playing baseball. Did you grow up on the hill? No, I actually grew up uh, in Elk Park. So, oh, okay. Yeah, it was, was kind there of with weird. Tim Montana. Yeah, country, yeah, exactly. I'm on the I'm on the other side of the park from him, but really? yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: So you grew up there, and you played, and you played all your sports in Butte.
3: Yep, but uh, and I always played for Northwest, the yeah. division of yeah, the Uptown division. Right. I don't know how it worked. Oh, who were your coaches there? Did you get to play for Mike Parent? No, I never played. I played against Mike yeah. a ton. I always played for I played for Pat a bunch. Kineen. Okay. So yeah, I was, was the same age as this kid. Okay. Quinn, his oldest son. So yeah. then I, I always played with Quinn a bunch. Um, and then, like, Jay Grant was another coach of yeah. ours. And you played uh, and practiced on cinders all the time. Oh, yeah, because yeah. it was always open. I remember yeah. that, you know, like, there'd be, you know, however many teams were always fighting to try and practice at Scown or wherever yeah. we were trying to practice. And, it, you know, we could always practice Yeah, it. And that was, I remember when that was... Uh,
1: Babe Ruth Field. My brother used to play there. Yeah, so I always played. He was he played in thirteen, fourteen Babe Ruth, so which that would have been like eighty four. Yeah, you know, it was quite a while ago, and uh, yeah, it wasn't the great greatest of the neighborhoods at the time, you know. But, yeah. Uh, it, there, at one point though, that was one of the great ballparks in town.
3: Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's how they always, you know, Pat would talk about it a lot. That yeah. uh, and that it was called. There's some like legend that it was called Cinder's Field because they. Had a big bonfire there, or something oh really like that. I don't remember yeah we used to
1: play to yeah. uh, practice football out there at, when I was at Central Junior high yeah we had to walk there, and wholegars had the practices. Yeah. there and they've, they've taken the fence down since then,
3: yeah, they have
1: so there it was a it was a short shorter home run if you went to right, yeah, and it was a it was like the polo grounds to the left and the center it you know, yeah. was the way because it just went with the street, yeah, so I think I'd be better at not punching the mic after all. These young, <laughs> But uh, it, it's, it's a great, great stadium there.
3: Yeah. Well, and that's it's, like, I remember watching the Legion ball play when it was up at Tech.
1: Yeah.
3: That, talk about a center field that was long. At 450. That was, yeah. That
1: was the biggest, when the Copper Kings played there, that was the biggest field in pro sports, pro baseball. Really? At the time, yeah. It was set, 450, the center
3: field. Yeah. And it was, not many guys hit it out of that. I just, yeah, I just remember when it you know, when the Legion team was playing there and looking out there and being like high school kid couldn't you know yeah 450 is a long way for a pro let alone yeah for a you don't high school see you kid. don't see a lot of 450 home runs no in
1: the <laughs> not even at course field yeah. yeah yeah So did you play any other sports at high you went to
3: beat high so yeah i didn't actually play any like official sports you were never officially high. a bulldog yeah, in, exactly. as far as sports goes huh? no i never never played for any of the uh the quote-unquote like actual yeah high but you're a good teams.
1: athlete obviously did yeah. any of the coaches How did you try to to come out? Not
3: too much. uh, A little bit here and there. But, you know, I was pretty set in, like, loving what I did. You know what I mean? Yeah, so you knew. Yeah, exactly. It was, like, it was one of those deals where I I always felt like I had it lined up pretty well. That, you know, like, baseball ended right when, like, the summer got nice. And then, you know, the fall's usually nice here. And then I got to ski so much. And it, like... It always felt like I had things, like, really lined yeah. out just right for me. Yeah, and the last thing a basketball coach wants you to do is go skiing. Exactly.
1: Yep. You know, so. And so then, then you go to MSU. Yep. And uh, you studied, well, well, you kind of studied something that's perfect for what you do, right?
3: Yeah, I studied snow science. So it's, yeah. like, part of, the, part of the earth science program. I have, like, the same degree, like, a geologist has. But yeah. my specialization's in, in snow, like, specifically, you know, glaciers, avalanches, yeah um climate mountain geography those sort of things. Have you used that degree to make money yet or
1: is it all mm-hmm. just for uh, sports?
3: Yeah, non non professionally. Yeah, yeah, I've talked a lot and you, a you'll have a the time. You got time about, to do that uh, about avalanche work with people, but yeah, haven't haven't really used it since I uh, yeah. finished.
1: Yeah, you've been doing the, the mountaineering and yeah, the exactly. skiing and stuff and you uh, of course you 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 go to these big peaks, these big yeah. mountains and you hike up and then ski down yeah that's what i was thinking uh, well i know lift tickets prices got expensive but i didn't know they were that expensive <laughs> yeah because that was the worst part about it when i if you go sledding when you yeah. kid, the worst part was the walk up you know because you had to walk up the hill and that yeah. wasn't that far of a walk ever like the hospital park that's not much of a walk yeah but i hated that part just like to slide down but you like the walk up well yeah so
3: and as a kid i didn't you know yeah as a kid i felt the same way you did yeah um, and for us, the reason we did it is because we were skiing the resort, and there was, like, a point when we'd look out from, from the resort. When I first went to college, we were skiing Big Sky. Yeah. And uh, we'd look out from the resort, and you could see all these, these, like, lines that we wanted to ski. And we had never had any uphill skiing experience, any, like, mountain experience, yeah. any climbing experience. And it was like, I want to ski that. So really what it came down to was, like was you know figuring out a way to get to those places originally to ski and yeah. it was all for the downhill and kind of along the process like I couldn't tell you the day that it happened but you just fell in love with the uphill.
1: Really? What, yeah. What's the highest uh, you climbed to ski down?
3: The highest I've ever climbed uh, would be Rainier fourteen four ten. I believe. Really? You climbed on top of that? Yeah.
1: And then you ski down
3: it? Uh, we didn't. I've, you... I've skied from halfway. Yeah. I tried to go up Two years ago, but we had some conditions shut us down from skiing from the top.
1: And that, that's a dangerous climb, because yeah. that could, that's one of those ones where it looks like it's nice, then suddenly it's not, right?
3: Well, yeah, it can be, right? There's a lot of uh, a lot of like glacier travel, a lot of seracs, um, so you don't want to be underneath the glaciers and a lot of crevasses, so you yeah. got to be like roped in so you don't fall into them. Yeah, and and that's fun. That's great. It's like you know, for me, it's that I get to see. It, part of it is that I get to see these things like the sunrise. There was this sunrise when we were climbing Rainier the first time that is just like etched in my memory forever. Right. Like, just some of the most beautiful things that I've gotten to see are like why I really feel lucky to go do the things I do. Yeah, and Rainier is it's a big one. And then the, was it Hood is another one over in that area, too? Yep. Have you ever been? I've never done Hood, but I've done St. Helens. That was one of the most You're beautiful on things. on top of Mount St. Helens? Yeah, climbed to the top of Mount St. St. Helens. I was obsessed with
1: Mount St. Helens as a kid because I was in kindergarten with a pool. And I missed school for a day and saw the ash fall when, when it was When the here. ash was here, right? Yeah, 1980, yeah. you know. So, yeah, and we'd make, I remember at the golf course when they are building on the Ed in part of the north part of the clubhouse yeah we remember guys playing in there and we were making mountains and I was always making Mount St. Helens that's cool make it and then you there I hit the mic and then you blow it up blow it up you know so so that was pretty cool being on top of that yeah
3: one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen we we hiked with our skis on to the top and then looking yeah, that take a long at, time uh, no that one was pretty easy compare well we were in good shape because we had just done would have been a lot tougher in 1979 yeah, probably exactly. yeah exactly <laughs> but uh, also we we were in good shape because we had just done Rainier like 3 days before yeah. and that was when we didn't make it but so we're in shape for Rainier and then you got 4000 less yeah. feet so yeah. get up to the top and but the view was was as incredible as anything i've ever seen looking down into that crater was just crazy yeah.
1: and our how many times did you say you've been on Rainier? I've been on Rainier twice. Once you guys didn't, couldn't make it because yeah, it. just conditions weren't right. Yeah, you know. Do you have any plans for anything bigger?
3: You know, one day, uh, people always ask if I like want to go other places to mountaineer, yeah. and uh, I definitely have the desire to do so. I'd love to do like Denali and some things like that um, in Alaska, but like, it's tough for me to want to go to places like Asia or Europe to climb or ski because like. Yeah. There's so much of this like beautiful world in our backyard yeah. that we like so many people don't see. I went to high school with kids who'd never been to to Glacier or Yellowstone, and people come yeah. from all over the world to go to both of those. So for yeah. me, it's like I I'm still like trying to check out what's what's around the U.S. and then you know. Then maybe I'll I want to go over there. But I like I like seeing what's what's in our own backyard yeah. first.
1: So do you, you do rock climbing too? Yeah, a bunch. Are you pretty skilled at that?
3: Not as good as uh, as I am as uh, a skier, but yeah, I uh, love climbing. Could you, did you ever you like free solo is like uh, the show? Yeah, I watch. Could you climb that? Uh, so I could not with, climb it the way he. No, could you would. do it with ropes? though, would you? And would you aid, I could aid climb that. Yeah. So I, I'm probably not good enough quite to free climb it with the ropes. Yeah. But uh, I could, I could like aid climb that sort of stuff. I've been to Yosemite, but I've never climbed El Cap.
1: Yeah, that. That's the thing. As I was talking to my brother about that last night, if if you watched that and you didn't know that he lived. Yeah. It would have been terrifying. Yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, because you knew, at least you knew at the end, okay, this guy's still alive because he's, he's on Twitter or whatever, yeah, you know, Instagram. Exactly. But uh, that that was, that's a scary, I can't imagine doing that.
3: No, unbelievable. And the the cinematography in yeah. in that for me, like, they did just such an exceptional yeah, job. that was great. Just beautiful. Do you, ever, do you ever solo stuff like? A little bit. I don't do uh, too much solo climbing. I'm, like, pretty risk adverse despite, like, the yeah. things that I do. Well, that's good I'd, to like, hear. I'd rather have the, you know the have rope the odds on, on your just side. in case you know like there's yeah. nothing to me that, uh, that you would still means, have fun with a you know? rope right yeah it doesn't you know to me it doesn't change the climbing at all it just is like you know wearing your seatbelt in the car like you don't have to do it, but it's better to do it. You know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, you can you can have fun driving fast on the with your lip oh, yeah. it off. You <laughs> Either know? way, you're having fun. The yeah. seatbelt only comes into play if you if need you, it.
3: Yeah. yeah, exactly.
1: That's a good way to look at it, I guess.
3: Yeah. And my mom would kill me. I don't think yeah, my that's... mom would <laughs> my mom wouldn't let me for sure. No. <laughs> so how about like the Highlands
1: and stuff, you ever you go up there a lot? Yeah, we we've, ski, we've
3: skied out of the Highlands a bunch. Like so you've skied down, like Red good. Mountain and yeah, Table Mountain? That was for a while like Red was a, a classic for me and a, a partner. He went to MSU with me, uh, but he's from here. Joel Hebert is like one of my main skiing climbing partners, yeah. and uh, we, you know we used to go every spring up Red. We, uh, we still go quite a bit to ski there, and like there's a lot of great stuff around that is yeah. just awesome. The climbing around Butte is in, incredibly underrated. like the granite here is is amazing and uh, A lot of people don't know about it. And I've never
1: even been on top
3: of Red Mountain, as
1: sad as it is. You know, I've been around, I've been close to the lookout there, you know, on the road. Yeah. You know, when I used to go hunting with my cousins and stuff, but I've never been on top of it. It's kind of a shame, really.
3: It's worth the extra little hike. It's not too bad (laughs) up
1: there. Yeah, and that's what, about 10,000? Yeah, about 10,000. And uh, that's a little bit bit low of uh, Rainier.
3: Yeah, but you know, like... A lot of times the, uh, the height of the mountain does not determine, like, its quality Man. or its difficulty, you know. Yeah. In Rainier's case, like, it's definitely, you know, very high quality and very difficult and tall. But, like, there's plenty of mountains, like, that, you know, aren't as yeah. tall that are still great quality. Yeah. Like, the, like the Tetons, right? Like the Grand Tetons, not as tall as Rainier, but it's on, you know, it's a stunning peak. It's really? very beautiful. You know?
5: 5518 Designs is your Montana lifestyle apparel headquarters in uptown Butte. We're gearing up to launch all of our brand new designs for the summer. All our designs are created in-house, actually in the cabin that we have in the back of the store, and they're meant to get you psyched about all your summer adventures. Whether it's biking, hiking, floating, festivaling, or just chilling lakeside, we've got the tees, hats, hoodies, and gifts that everyone is sure to love. And we haven't even mentioned our unique line of Butte gear, but we'll save that for another commercial. In the meantime, stop in the 5518 Designs at 27 North Main Street in Uptown Butte and shop online at shop5518.com.
1: Are you looking for somewhere to watch your favorite teams play or just somewhere to meet your friends? Or are you looking for a place to hold your big celebration or cater your private event? Look no further than Metal Sports Bar & Grill. They can do it all. With their 31 big screen televisions, you will not miss a second of action. And a full menu of cooked to perfection favorites is sure to please. Try the vault burger, raise fingers, or one of Chef T's specialty items, or just enjoy a drink and some friendly company with Dave and the staff as you take in the action at Metal Sports Bar and Grill. Metal Sports Bar and Grill is located on the corner of Park and Main in historic Uptown Butte. Stop by today or check out their menu at metalsportsbarandgrill.com. Metal Sports Bar and Grill, where the food is the star.
2: there's no story so good that a drink from Park Street Liquors won't make it better. From the finest whiskies and regional spirits to the latest RTDs and select wines, Park Street Liquors has all the ingredients to make your parties and stories legendary. Park Street Liquors can also assist with your corporate event or wedding by helping create and plan your wine and spirits menus. You name it and Park Street Liquors has it. Stop by and see Tom and the crew at 133 West Park Street or call 406-782-6278. Make your stories legendary.
1: Visiting your neighborhood Thriftway Superstops was already your favorite stop of the day. Now, it is even better. Join the brand new Thriftway Loyalty Club to rack up big discounts, earn free stuff, and receive more TLC with every visit. Download the TLC app, and take advantage of great deals on pizza, grab and go favorites, fresh brewed coffee, cool fountain drinks, and much, much more at your neighborhood Thriftway superstops. Loyalty club members also save five cents per gallon off top tier conical fuel every single day. Plus, earn
3: points at the pump and in the store. Do you ever think about
1: Everest or anything like that?
3: I, you know, I think about it. Everest, to me, these days, doesn't have a huge appeal. Well,
1: it seems like it's like a tourist. There's so exactly. many people. It's like it's yeah.
3: Disneyland for the super rich. Yeah. Um, but, like, some of those other mountains that are, you know, like K2 and that has, definitely has some, some appeal and drive in my yeah. heart. It's not at a place where I'm, like, looking at doing those now, but there's definitely some, like... Well, There's things that are
1: tougher than Everest, right? Yeah, a lot of those are, like... You
3: know, and there's other routes on... There's multiple routes on Everest. Some are harder, some are easier. Yeah. But these days, since, like, the collapse of the Hillary Step in the 2015 uh, earthquake, Yeah. like, that's when all of a sudden the pictures of those lines, if you've seen any of those, the lines these days up there are... Yeah. Incredible. I
1: don't like a line at uh, Lagoon, let alone. I know. I, I
3: feel the same way. You know, growing up here, half the time when I'm visiting a big city and yeah. I'm waiting in line for food, it's like. Yeah. You know. we,
1: we didn't like the ski lines, like the lift, li- yeah, lift exactly. lines at Discovery sometimes. Got. Yeah. Before they had the, the extra, I think I was a year or two in ski, and then they moved, they opened that second lift. The, the blue it was blue, I believe. Back, yeah, then. the blue the, hill is what and, everybody calls yeah, it. And then, uh, there's a few more years before the the backside, but I remember some people would back in those days they couldn't, they weren't supposed to, but they could. They yeah. went, they'd sneak off and, and go skis, skis there, in the backside, and, and then, then they could, they could like circle around somehow. Oh, or cool. I'm not, I'm not sure how they did it, but mm. if they, I don't know if they hiked up or if they, if there was a way, they just skied a little bit, yeah. And then, circled back and caught in it but I wasn't going to try that I'm not much to the backside as it is today because well of course I haven't skied in 20 years and only had the one set of skis but I never I never bought the new bindings and new skis yeah so I was going as wearing the same skis and bindings that I got as an 11 year old yeah I was an adult and you know you turn in the backside and boop there (laughs) goes yeah heading off down and they didn't stop yeah once it fell off at the
3: backside no
1: and and of course one of the more interesting things you've skied is you skied Anaconda's uh, black slag Yeah,
3: yeah I did. Uh the sled pile. That was another thing that I kind of always wanted to do. School video of that. Yeah, it there. is. The video is is incredible. That was a guy named uh Pat uh Conroy and he did a phenomenal job. Yeah. Um but uh yeah, that was something that I would kind of like driving to Georgetown and to Discovery always as a kid. I'd always look at it and I'd always wanted to ski it and then uh, you know, again, kind of one of those things. As an adult, I was like, I should make this happen. I should actually do it. So yeah, uh, it did it twice it, actually.
1: Did, is it hard to ski on that? Is it?
3: Oh yeah, when I was, I was terrified the first time that I was going to point my skis downhill and that I wouldn't move. Yeah, I was like, I had this like, I had just some step high step stress there, huh? that I was just going to sit there. But no, I mean, it was not like it was by no means high speed or uh, or you know, even incredibly fun. I did it both times, like, in the summer. Yeah. And it, you know, on that slag, it was, like, 80, 90-degree days, and it was probably over 100 degrees on yeah. that slag, just hot. Just black so it sand. Was, and... You know, it was for the, more for the, you know, to say I did it because I'd always wanted to do it and for, the like, the visuals than anything else. And it
1: didn't go, you wouldn't go as fast as snow.
3: Not even close, yeah. yeah.
1: But how about turning? Is it tougher to turn than it Way was Way tougher, yeah. yeah, yeah it, that's what I was thinking. It must be, because what if you get going and then you can't really turn yeah
3: exactly you could do some like i could do some like kind of gentle turns and then just uh when you got to the bottom and it got flat you just rode it out until you stopped kind of
1: really yeah so it wasn't super fun but it was just cool to do
3: yeah exactly it wasn't like something that i'd necessarily and now i think taking out endorsement. Now. yeah exactly i like to take credit for that i don't know if that's true or not. yeah but uh, yeah yeah so uh, yeah that's kind of it's
1: as a kid, they were all, I don't know if you, was yeah, there grass but, on any of them? Were they all black when you were No, so when
3: there? I was, when yeah, there was grass on the first set when I was a kid is when yeah. they, they put in that grass.
1: Yeah, because it seems like there's different colors and you yeah. go in and then people had, people would go on there with sticks yeah. and ride stuff with big sticks, you know, as you drove in Anaconda. Yeah. I always wondered what that was too, but I never had it for a second that I ever wanted to walk on
3: it. Yeah, or I don't, don't know. On it was just, it. as a kid, it was like, you know, I just... It looked like something that you could do. Yeah. I'd wanted to.
1: That's pretty cool to have that in your head, though, that have yeah, done it, though. Yeah, exactly. And you might be the only and last one to do it, right?
3: Yeah, probably, you know? Maybe some people snuck out there. There was, like, some controversy, too, about whether we had permission, but we had permission from, like, the leasees and all the, the folks the whole yeah. time, yeah.
1: Well, I always found, of course, if uh, when M- Matt Vincent and I hit golf balls into the pit in yeah. 2002. It was, you, you're too young to remember that, but we went and hit golf balls in the pit and wrote a column about it, you know, yeah. our plan for a driving range there. It's easier to get forgiveness than it is permission, permission. sometimes. yeah,
3: <laughs> exactly.
1: And, uh, of course, you're... Did you have to have... How about floating this? You have to have any kind of thing to go... You don't have any permits or anything like this to float no. the river on the canoe. The yeah, river.
3: this is, like, you know, it's not like the salmon or the Selway or yeah. even the Smith, where you need, like, a permitted section, you know, like, they're... You know, I'm sure I would, you know, people have actually canoed from the, there's like two headwaters of the Columbia. There's the Northern headwaters, yeah. which is like in Canada, that's the, what they consider the true headwaters. Yeah. And then there's from here, but I would, I I mean, from my research and what I've looked at, I, i I feel fairly confident in saying that I don't think anybody's ever canoed from here to the yeah. the coast. Well, someone would have bragged about it if they did. <laughs> I'd think so. Yeah, you
1: can make a movie or something yeah. or write a book or yeah. any of that. That's. Uh, are you nervous
3: about this? Uh, you know, there's parts that I'm nervous about or I guess maybe apprehensive. Just, yeah. you know, there's a lot of unknowns. But, uh, you know, we're preparing for those unknowns the best we can. Yeah. And, uh, you know going to have to adapt a lot along the way.
1: So. Yeah, because when you're driving to Seattle, yeah, you, you don't know what... I mean, I remember one time when I lived in Moscow, Idaho, driving from Butte. I left. It was, I thought it, was, it was Bluebird Day, as they yeah. say. It was in January. Got the lookout, and there's the biggest snowstorm I've ever driven through in my life. I think there was two people killed in, the, in, the, yeah. uh, in Iraq, and it was just it was scary. So you don't know what you're getting when you're driving by an automobile sometime when you're going, yeah. driving that far and especially when it's 40 days out you can't predict the weather They have a hard time predicting the weather three days out you know exactly uh but so you got to be prepared for some yeah exactly really bad weather
3: it's kind of prepare for the worst and hope for the best sort of thing you know yes so maybe it'll go off without a hitch and we'll have 40 days in a row of uh Bluebird skies, but yeah. I, I figure we'll probably hit some rain and maybe some snow. Yeah. The way. Is there anything
1: that, because we could have a flood season this year. Yeah. Would that throw off your plans at all, or would that be a little bit? Well,
3: so, again, you know, that's kind of that fine line we're talking about. Between... Yeah, that's why
1: May 5th is in the definite, right?
3: Exactly. High waters and speed, and then, you know, flooding. So, like, if flooding occurs while we're there, then we will be, you know, we'll be packing up, heading up hill and yeah. waiting for flooding to recede. Yeah. So I mean it it all depends. You know, that's the catch twenty two, right? When I talked about like we get a lot more speed by going this time of the year, but you know, yeah. there is the possibility of things like flooding. Whereas if we went in August, our speed's yeah. much slower, yeah. but we know that those sorts of things happen not Yeah. Ice jams should be all
1: shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, it should, the time be, of year. should be should be all May. clear by then. Right now I don't know if you want to get in there yet, but yeah, another a little month, chilly another too. Month. Yeah, the water would be cold.
3: Yeah, would be. We're trying not to dump it.
1: Yeah. So. Do you wear, we wear a kind of wetsuit under that, too? Or?
3: Well, so we probably won't have a wetsuit simply because of the number of days we'll be in the canoe. Yeah. But we'll, uh, we'll have, like, you know, full, like, hard shell outer gear and insulated layers and things like that. And if we get dumped out, it'll probably be, you know, recover the canoe, set up camp, and dry ourselves out sort of thing. Yeah. So, so it could be a fun trip, too. Oh, it's yeah, going to be, no matter what, fun. it's going to be fun and it's yeah. going to be an adventure. Like it'll be a lot of work, but you know, it'll definitely be, you ever heard of the term type two fun? Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, yeah. mountaineering and the uphill on the skiing down is a lot of like type two fun. And, you know, I, I expect yeah. there might be a lot of that on the, like on the way there, you know, things that are, are, uh, not like you know type one funds the idea that like going and playing basketball is type one
1: yeah i'm more of a type one fund yeah Yeah.
3: type two funds like (laughs) the type of thing where you climb a mountain it can be hard in the time and then you get home and you go man that was really fun you know so
1: be cool to say that you did it when when you're done and you're gonna have all the it's gonna be documented and
3: yeah exactly and you know like i said that's the the document the documentary is how we hope to you know like leave a little bit of an impact and you know even talk about you know a little more awareness for some of the issues that we have you know like people more and more know about uh you know our cleanup and our issues here but like to say that we're anywhere near being done is crazy like i always think it's funny that another place when i got a little older than cinders we used to play play practice baseball all the time yeah. on that uh uh by the civic center there there was a park and now it's being torn up because it all needed to be remediated yeah. you know and we played baseball on that park every spring for probably five years yeah and so like you know the idea that we're anywhere while we've made good progress since the old days like the idea that we're anywhere near done is like long ways to go yeah, yeah. So.
1: so what this documentary where would we where do you think it would be distributed? Where would you
3: So we're gonna do uh, like a kind of a three step process. We're gonna take it to some of the like the film festivals that are out yeah. there, like you know, Telluride Film Festival, Banff Film Festival. These are like some famous mountain yeah. sports film festivals. So that'll be like the very first. Then we'll do like a little film tour which will include Butte, so we'll make sure to to show the, the film here a few yeah. times so that people who wanna see it can That'd see be it. Awesome, man. And you know, and places too that we'll also visit like Sand Point, and we're gonna do Missoula and stuff like that. And then afterwards we'll do a, a true like on line release so anybody who wants to see it will be able to and can watch it as many times as they want.
1: That'd be pretty cool. So yeah. what do you see yourself doing after this? What's the next is the next project in the works
3: already? Uh, I don't think I have anything this big. This is like the first time. Usually with mountaineering and climbing, I usually have. Yeah something like set for the next thing and the next thing but with this one it's you know it's a little bigger a little longer time yeah. commitment so it's like I, I plan on enjoying the summer when I get back for yeah. the most part and then just uh, you know don't have I'll decide the next goals yeah. as far as the mountains and the outdoors go <laughs> then but uh, yeah, nothing looking beyond that.
1: Yeah, it really does uh, seem like a Lewis and Clark meets Evil Can Evil kind of a dream. I like that. I like that <laughs> quote. Might have to use it. <laughs> yeah, and are you going to be at uh, Colt Anderson's Dream Big event this, again this year? That's I will. why I think I talked to you last yeah. year, there, right?
3: so that'll that be like the, you know, it, uh, they. I've talked to him a little bit about being there. Um, if they do invite me again, like I have a huge passion for helping kids. Yeah. So that'd be like one of the only things I might leave might take two days off the river would be the only thing to drive back and go to that because
1: Oh, you'd think you'd like leave the river. That'd be the back, only thing then I'd, go I'd leave back it, for. Same spot. Yeah,
3: that's like the plan is you know I want to do it as like truly and committing as possible with the trip. but like that's something that they do such a good job and they have such a big impact on kids. Yeah. And like if I can be part of that and help them, then I want to do it without a doubt. Well, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. Hey, well, good luck. Hopefully everything goes well. I and hope so, And hopefully listen to your mom with all your safety tips that she's going to give you. Of course. You. <laughs> listen to her this time you know because yeah, yeah, tom or listen to tom We'll listen to the words yeah, of tom exactly. listen to your mom yeah exactly but i hope you hope you have a great time and uh, i can't wait to see the documentary when it comes
3: out hey i appreciate your time today thank you so much for yeah. having me
1: all right thanks robert and good luck man thank
2: you <laughs>